is Bloomberg Surveillance. I think that the real genius of uh, capitalists is competition, and we are forgetting this. I feel very lucky to be looking at the oil market so much right now because we're really seeing a complete game change. This dichotomy between what's happening in financial markets and the concern about what's happening in the real economy is extremely marked at present. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, I'm Michael McKee. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street. It's 7 a.m. on Constitution Avenue in Washington, connecting the Fed and Congress. It's also 7 a.m. in New Hampshire, connecting the presidential campaign to, well, to what? Issues we will consider today on surveillance. You know by now, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump won handily in New Hampshire. And in about an hour and a half, the House Financial Services Committee will release Fed Chair Janet Yellen's prepared testimony. At the moment, neither piece of news seems to be worrying investors. European stocks are higher. The stock 600 by seven points, two and a quarter percent. The DAX is up 199 points, two and a quarter percent. The FTSE in London up 63 points, 1.1 percent here in the U.S., S&P futures are up 19 points, 1%. It's a 130-point gain for the Dow, eight-tenths of a percent. And NASDAQ 100 e-mini futures are up 54 points right now, 1.4%. The bond market is falling as stocks gain. Yields are higher, 1.75% for your 10-year yield, 1.17 for your 5-year. The 2-year going for 71 basis points right now. The dollar index is little changed on the day, 96.111. The dollar is stronger against the yen, 114.96, against the euro, 112.59, and against the pound, 145.38. And this is interesting today. Gold, second day in a row, it's getting hammered, 1,183.30, down $15.30, 1.3%. So an interesting change in tone for the markets today. Bob Sinch is a global strategist for Amherst Pierpont, and he's a longtime member of the Bloomberg Surveillance hockey team. Uh, Bob joins us now. Janet Yellen, Bob, has, a, has to deliver a message on Capitol Hill today, but I'm wondering ahead of that, what message, if any, has Wall Street been delivering to her ahead of it? Well, I don't know if it's particularly um, uh, delivered to uh, to the Fed, although certainly they're one central bank that's been taking some action recently. I just think it's a it's a general concern that that central banks um, really don't have a lot left that they can do. Um, you know, we had Mohammed Alarian on yesterday talking about how central banks have been a great source of stability. Um, but it's not clear that the ECB, the Bank of Japan, uh, really have much more uh, they can do to try to stimulate growth. And, and I think the new one that, that markets are concerned about is, is actually the PBOC, the People's Bank of China, uh, which is trying to navigate a very difficult uh, path here between stabilizing the currency and stimulating the economy. And that's a, that's a very difficult task to take on. What, how does she talk about that without uh, creating more of the volatility that she is then talking about? Well, that's a that's a pretty tough task, and um, you know I think the Fed, uh, the Fed's mandate, um, uh, stable inflation and and maximum employment growth, um, uh, they're doing pretty well. Uh, inflation is, uh, you know, certainly core inflation in the U.S. is picking up to that one and a half to two percent range. 
The employment numbers look terrific. Um, so how do they stay true to their mandate, particularly in the House, where they can be pretty unforgiving on international events? Um, how does she stick to, the, to that uh, mandate uh, but yet express some concern about the volatility in markets? It's going to be a tough testimony. Uh, Bloomberg surveillance this morning. We say good morning to all of you. Michael McKee and Tom Keene looking forward to Chair Yellen and uh, really start strong this hour with Robert Sinch. Uh, Bloomberg surveillance this morning. Brought to you by Invesco. Investing isn't about meeting benchmarks. It's about achieving goals. Find out how Invesco's high-conviction approach can help. Visit Invesco.com slash high-conviction, I-N-V-E-S-C-O, Invesco.com slash high-conviction. All week I've been saying get cinch, get cinch, get cinch. Bob, I, I want to bring the moment over to the conflation I see in the media between grosser macroeconomics like the price of oil, GDP, global slowdown, shortage of aggregate demand, over to finance and liquidity issues within banks. You are a grizzled veteran. You are the Jeremy Yager of looking at financial economics. How close are we to liquidity lacks of confidence in our international system? You know, it's 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 funny you mentioned. I was just looking at a series this morning, uh, looking at the swap rate in in the eurozone, say the two-year swap rate, which is a generic borrowing rate uh, used between banks, and the uh, two-year German Bund, which is which is kind of the pristine uh, uh, example of borrowing costs in Europe. Um, that spread has widened out in the last couple of days from about 30 to 35 basis points. Now yeah. that's a, a meaningful little move. But actually, over the last uh, three-plus years, since the beginning of 2013, that's averaged 33 basis points. So we're right there on average. If you go back to early 2012, prior to uh, Mario Draghi's pledge to do whatever it takes, that was uh, running over 100 basis points. So uh, is there a little sign of concern in the in the banking system in, in the Eurozone? Yes, but it's still very, very contained relative to what we've seen in the past. Right. Um, and, and not seeing great levels of distress in the um, in the financing side in the U.S. banking system either. So, I think right now um, most of the pressure is showing up in asset prices um, uh, for bank stocks as opposed to real liquidity problems. And and that's important because the central banks can deal with liquidity problems and they know how to address those issues. That's not what's happening right now, and so it's not clear what they can do to alleviate what the market's concerns are at this moment. And the market could say, this is great, folks, and this is the conflation, and uh, Dominic Constam at Deutsche Bank has written about this. Dr. Alarian yesterday talked about this front and center. If it's a balance sheet write-down issue, oil, high-yield, China, whatever it's going to be, is that contained to individual institutions, or is it systemic? And I think that's the key issue when you look at, at things like swap spreads. When you start to get the whole banking sector having to pay up meaningfully uh, for liquidity, then it becomes more systemic. Um, right now, that's not really happening in a major way, even in the Eurozone banking sector. So I think for now, um, it is more of a, uh, an individual company-by-company company issue of write-downs, capital adequacy, et cetera, not yet getting into the broader liquidity environment at which the central, where the central banks can really take action. It seems like uh, what you're saying is basically the problem seems to be 
ignorance on the part of investors who maybe aren't doing as deep a dive as you are into this, who are just looking at, uh, you know, say, Deutsche Bank's issues and saying it's 2008 all over again? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think individual institutions, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I don't have a view on, on the valuation of individual institutions, and there are a lot of, uh, of analysts who, who do a deep dive into those, and I'll leave that to them. But I think that that the concerns that what might be happening at certain institutions is spilling over into the broader markets um, doesn't look as though it is happening yet, and I think that's important um, to keep a focus on. It's, it's not to say that there aren't other problems going on in the world, growth slowdowns, etc., but in terms of the financing activity, that yet's not been broadly impacted by what's going on. When I look, Bob, at dollar-yen, and we'll talk about this in our next block, more foreign exchange, is it is it the, the markets pricing in further negative yields in Japan, or is there more going on at that when we see yen strength? You know, I, I think we're we're back a little bit to the to the old days of, of risk aversion, yen, Swiss franc. Um, one thing that's really developed over the last 12 or 18 months is Japan is has soared back to a pretty large current account surplus. Remember, they lost that surplus after the earthquake tsunami in 2011 uh, when they shut down all their nuclear plants. They had to import a lot of oil to produce electricity, and they lost their current account surplus. And um, we've seen that build back up, a combination of, uh, of getting some of the nuclear plants back on but also lower oil prices. Now, why is that important? It means that Japan is running a surplus with the rest of the world every month, they need to recycle that surplus, and if there's not capital outflow into foreign markets, uh, the the pressure is there to push the yen yeah, higher, yeah, and I think yeah. that's exactly what we've seen yeah. in the last couple of weeks. A theme to continue with, Robertson. Thrilled to have him on today, of course, with his uh, work at Bear Stearns and Bank of America over the years. He is with Amherst Pierpont. Futures up 20, Dow futures up 132. Uh, the yield higher, as Mike McKee mentioned, risk on really across the board, 1.76%. And the yield, importantly, we have curve steepening this morning. It's ever so slight, but frankly, after the last two days, we'll take it. The 210 spread 104 basis points. We made a real bout for 99 basis points. We didn't get there. West Texas, 28.52. Brent, 30. Point nine one up about fifty five cents each dollar yen was one fourteen now a one fifteen point zero one Seven ten on Wall Street. Time to bring in Michael Barr with the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Republican Donald Trump and Democrat Bernie Sanders had sound wins last night in the New Hampshire primaries. Most of the Republican presidential candidates are heading to South Carolina for its Republican primary February 20th. But Chris Christie said last night he's heading back to New Jersey to take a deep breath and reevaluate his campaign. The man convicted of assassinating Senator Robert Kennedy in 1968 goes before a California parole board today for a 15th time. Sirhan Sirhan, now 71, is serving life in prison for Kennedy's shooting. An Iranian drone that flew over a U.S. aircraft carrier last month was the first to conduct an overflight of a U.S. carrier since 2014. That's according to a Navy report obtained by the Associated Press. The drone flyover is the latest chapter in a tense Persian Gulf naval encounter between Iran and the U.S. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. 
and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. And Michael, thanks so much. You must listen on economics, finance, investment, Bloomberg surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by New York Community Bank and New York Commercial Bank, the NYCB family of banks. Bank with confidence anywhere you see the NYCB logo throughout the New York metro. Visit nycbfamily.com. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. Time Warner posting fourth quarter earnings that beat analyst estimates as sales increased at HBO and Turner. And U.S. stock index futures are rising, mirroring gains in European shares and oil prices. S&P E-mini futures have 20 points. Dow E-mini futures have 132. NASDAQ E-mini futures have 57. DAX in Germany is up 2.4 percent. Ten-year Treasury down 8.30 seconds. The yield 1.75 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 2.2 percent or 60 cents at $28.53 a barrel. COMEX gold down 1.3 or $15.90 to $11.82.70 an ounce. The euro, $1.1254. The yen, $114.98. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Now, Karen, uh, thanks so much. Michael McKeon, Tom Keen Worldwide with Robert Cinch of Amherst Pierpont. Rob, you and, uh, Robert, you and I were um, doing telepathy this morning. I was working up a French industrial production chart back a gazillion years. I took a four-year presidential moving average of French industrial production, A, it's ugly, and it has sustained ugly really through 08, 09, and onward. What is the issue? Is it the length of quiet of industrial production across nations, or is it this immediate moment of decline in industrial production? Well, I think across Europe there's a, there's a long-term trend, but I think that uh, more immediately, um, you know, one of the concerns expressed for markets is uh, a lack of global growth, and it really is showing up now in uh, in output. Now, um, you know, this could be a, an inventory adjustment, although it's been going on for uh, for for a bit of time now. But you look at industrial production in Germany; it was down two percent year over year in uh, in December. You look at the production in the UK down 0.4 percent, in the US down 1.75 percent. So. You've got a lot of the the, the biggest countries um, showing negative year-over-year uh, output growth. Um, that's a pretty significant development, and certainly suggests a uh, a slowing in in global output. Now, a lot of that's being made up for by increasing consumption of services, uh, but that only goes so far. And uh, we're definitely seeing this output uh, downturn in the latter part of 2015. And uh, the question is, is is that an inventory correction that can turn around as we go through the first half of this year? Well, there's no question there's a global slowing. The question is really uh, whether we have reached a tipping point where that slowdown becomes contraction. Well, in production, it looks like that's taken place. I mean, to get negative year-over-year growth rates in, uh, you know, the U.K. and France and Germany and the U.S., uh, uh, industrial production growth in China down uh, 6% or slightly below, you know, we've definitely seen weakness. Um, you know, I think the issue um, is whether this persists and spreads to employment and therefore service consumption 
or whether, in fact, this is a, a large inventory correction around the world, and we'll see that ending in a pickup in the in the early part of this year. I, I think it's probably uh, related to inventories, and we could see some pickup. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, we're, we're not seeing the industrial sectors around the right. world doing much at all. One of the positive themes, and I believe Dominic Constant writing in this, and, and folks, uh, Dominic will join us Friday. Uh, thrilled to have him on is the new and nascent debate about what to do about the dollar. If the dollar is the global litmus paper, we all agree it's had a heck of a run. Can Janet Yellen surprise markets today and start talking about dollar stability, if not a forced dollar depreciation? Well, I would be one surprise guy if if she does. Um, You know, traditionally uh, uh, the Treasury uh, is the spokesperson for the dollar, um, I don't think Chair Yellen would uh, would really go after that topic. I, I think all this talk of uh, of a plaza accord really uh, a bit overdone. Um, you know, in the long term context, the dollar has recovered, but certainly not anywhere near the unprecedented levels that we lived through in the early 1990s, uh, the early uh, 1980s. I know you so, and me, you and me, not Michael. I yeah, really. I wish. Uh, I wish. But, uh, but well, I think that that uh, you know it would be unlikely for the for the chair to go directly after uh, a market like uh, like the currency market. Well, sure, but what what about uh, Bob Sinch and other currency market observers? Is the dollar's rise that the, the Fed has been so concerned about? Is it over? We have seen the dollar decline in the last couple of weeks. Well, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the expected interest rate differentials probably did peak out in the latter part of last year. Um, looks like the Fed will be a bit less aggressive than they had previously indicated, or, or, or certainly the markets are thinking that. They, they think they may not do anything this year. So I think we probably did get a bit of an overshoot in the dollar. The, uh, the sentiment and the enthusiasm and positioning in favor of the dollar uh, certainly got extreme. So I think we've had a bit of a, of a healthy correction. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't think the dollar becomes that big an issue incrementally from here going forward. Okay, but, but, but before we let you go, i got to make some money this morning. When does Bob Cinch reverse your feel on strong yen and go weaker short yen? When do you do that? How do you do that? You know, I think that that we've probably had most of the move in the yen that we're going to get. Um, and I think 115 is a very important level for the Japanese authorities. So uh, certainly, I, I, you know, if I, if I was long the yen here, would I take profits just under 115? Absolutely. Um, but to really drive dollar yen higher, um, I think it's going to take a, a, a big sentiment change uh, about yeah. the U.S. economy and Fed policy. So, you know, sometimes the best way to win is not to play, and I think dollar yen's a tough one to play in these days. Bob, thank you so much. Bob Cinch uh, with Amherst Pierpont giving us wisdom, really cross-asset, which we like to do best, equities, bonds, currencies, and commodities. Michael, Janet Yellen today. Um, you first do no harm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I assume none of the politicians will ask Hippocratic her. testimony. Yeah, I, I assume none of the politicians will ask her about liquidity cocos, you know, the rest of it. I mean, that's not going to come up. Is well, you know, to talk about if, if somebody's smart, maybe, maybe they would. But as I say, as the predicate says, um, not likely no, to happen. Not likely to happen. We'll have that coverage for you. Janet Yellen. Uh, Chair of the Federal Reserve System, an important testimony in Q&A. 
It's a House, Mike. It, it's the House, House Financial yeah. Services Committee. So it's always more entertaining than the uh, boring senators. You Risk mean, on. You mean stupider. You know, I'm not he going there. I, I, I didn't <laughs> say that. Uh, S&P up 19. Dow Futures up 124. Tucker's in the surveillance timeout chair. Good morning. Well, we asked Bob Sinch, is the dollar's run over? Mark Chandler studies currencies for Brown Brothers Harriman. We'll ask him coming up. He says, Janet Yellen, she who must be listened to. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It's 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. We are an hour away from Janet Yellen's testimony being released and two hours away from the start of trading. Before you start thinking about what Ms. Yellen has to say, there is some corporate news out there. Time Warner posting fourth quarter earnings that beat estimates. Profit excluding some items, $1.06 a share. Analysts have predicted a dollar. Revenue decreased, though, 6% to $7.1 billion. That trails the $7.5 billion consensus estimate. Deutsche Bank shares are up this morning, about 9%. Germany's biggest bank considering buying back some of its bonds. Concerns it will struggle to make payments on its riskiest debt had pushed shares down. Disney shares down 2%. Shareholders overlooking a record quarter for sales and earnings focused on flagging profits at ESPN's sports network. And, of course, investors are taking in hand the news from New Hampshire last night. Time now to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest headlines. Michael? Mike, thank you very much. Some presidential candidates will take today to do some soul-searching about their campaigns after last night's New Hampshire primaries. Chris Christie headed back to New Jersey to reevaluate his campaign. Meanwhile, Carly Fiorina, who finished near the bottom in New Hampshire last night, says she will continue. We feel very encouraged. You've given us wind at our back. And so, as I said to many of you as I walk through the room tonight, we are going to keep going. Democrats hold caucuses in Nevada the same day South Carolina holds its Republican primary on February 20th. Hillary Clinton lost to Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders in yesterday's New Hampshire primary by roughly 21 percentage points. Attorneys for Bill Cosby have asked that a defamation lawsuit filed in federal court in Massachusetts be put on hold as he defends himself in a criminal case in Pennsylvania. Also yesterday, a California judge dismissed a model's defamation claim against a former lawyer for Cosby. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashar. John? All right, Mike, new coach, but familiar script. At the Garden, the Knicks playing for the first time under Kurt Rambis. They again fell behind early. They were down 16 in the first quarter, let Washington go for 63 first-half points. Knicks rallied back but lost at the end, 111-108. The Wizards' backcourt led the way with John Wall scoring 28 with 17 assists. Bradley Beal added 26. Carmelo Anthony led the Knicks with 33 and made his first comments since Phil Jackson fired Derek Fisher. I didn't see it coming. Uh, nobody saw it coming. You, you have to continue to put your trust in the field. At, at this point, what could you do? You, know, you can't shy away from that. can't go against it. 
Uh, you know, so for me, it's, you know, continue. I have to trust in that. I decided to stay here. I decided to uh, make that decision to trust in, in the Knicks and trust in the field. Uh, you know, and I have to continue doing that. Knicks hit the All-Star break, having lost six in a row, 10 of 11. They have fallen five games out for a playoff spot. Marty Brodeur night in New Jersey, the winner of three Stanley Cups in his 21 seasons with the Devils at his number 30, raised to the rafters. Devils then got by Edmonton 2-1. to one. Islanders remain just ahead of the Devils after a 3-2 to two shootout win at Columbus College Hoops. 20th win for Monmouth. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashow. Thank you, John. Right now, we're looking at futures that are higher ahead of Janet Yellen, her testimony to be released by the House Financial Services Committee at 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time. Tom and I will have the complete breakdown for you when those headlines are released. This is Bloomberg Radio. And this is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. The event of the day, the Fed chair goes to Capitol Hill, 10 a.m. testimony, 8.30 a.m. The prepared remarks are released. And as I mentioned, we will have all of those for you at that time. Ahead of Janet Yellen's testimony, S&P futures are up 20 points now, 1%. Dow futures are up 127, 8 tenths. NASDAQ futures up 55 points, 1.4%. Now it's time for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here's John Tucker. Well, Michael, Google's self-driving cars are just a little closer to hitting the roads. Federal regulators have agreed with Google that its cars will not have a driver in the traditional sense. Google asked regulators back in November for an interpretation of safety standards in cars it seeks to produce without traditional controls. Uh, Google has been getting mixed signals from federal and state regulators on the path to putting its self-driving cars on the road. Uh, California, for instance, has said the cars aren't smart enough yet to be sold to the public without a steering wheel, brake pedals, and a licensed driver behind the wheel. U.S. aviation safety officials are raising new warnings about the dangers of carrying bulk shipments of lithium-based batteries on commercial flights. The National Transportation Safety Board yesterday urged that battery shipments be separated from other flammable materials on cargo planes and that limits be placed on how many can be transported. Hours earlier, the FAA sent a notice to airlines urging them to study the fire and explosion risks of lithium shipments linked to three accidents. And that is this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Mike. John Tucker, thank you very much. Well, we were just talking with Bob Sinch about the dollar and Janet Yellen's perception thereof. Let's bring in Mark Chandler now. He is the head of currencies for Brown Brothers Harriman. And, Mark, you note in uh, today's uh, note to clients that that's going to be an important topic for the Fed chair. What impact is the dollar having on their thinking Lately, the dollar's been going down. Yeah, I think that some people thought that the Federal Reserve is going to be constrained in its ability to raise interest rates by the strength of the dollar. And instead, a trade-weighted basis, it looks like the dollar has come off a bit, not just because of the Canadian dollar's rise, but also because, as Bob pointed out, the, uh, the recent strength of the yen. Yes, but if the Fed is perceived as likely to raise rates, does that re- reverse 
It could. I mean, I, I think that partly it's not just in the Fed's hand. I think that the, the outlook for the dollar is also partly a function of what the ECB is going to do uh, next month, and the ECB is signaling that it's going to have to ease policy further. Even someone like the Bundesbank President Weidmann has indicated that inflation forecasts need to be cut dramatically in Europe. And just today, you'll notice that the U.K., not part of the Eurozone, but in general Europe, including France, the U.K.'s numbers today, Germany numbers yesterday, industrial production basically collapsed in all three countries at the end of last year, much more than people thought, and not just uh, – can't just write it off to uh, warmer weather and lower energy production. That's part of it, but there's a there's bigger weakness there. Well, is there a recession in train? Are the markets uh, predicting something, or are they reflecting something? But I think that there's a lot of talk of U.S. recession. I think it's grossly exaggerated. Here's why: in order to get a in order to get a recession, which I'm not sure what it really means, but at least if it means anything, it means a contracting economy. And it's true that Q4 in the U.S. was nearly stagnant. The initial estimate was 0.7. But after the jobs data last week, after the wholesale trade and inventories data this week, the Atlanta Fed GDP now, which tracks GDP is 2.5% for Q1. So, yes, it's common these days for the economy to be a bit more volatile. We have some strong quarters, some weak quarters. Fourth quarter was weak. First quarter looks to be strong. And I just don't see what two quarters, for example, for a rule of thumb, two quarters negative growth, what two quarters are those going to be for negative growth in the U.S.? And I think that some of the weakness has been coming from manufacturing. But when you look deeper into the ISM numbers, You'll see two things that I've been focusing on. One is the increase in new orders. That's forward-looking. That's positive. The second thing is this balance between new orders and inventories. That also suggests that output is likely to increase. And remember what we saw on Friday, a strong rise in manufacturing employment. I, want to, I forget what the exact number was. I think it was something like 25,000 increase, much more than the market expected. So I'm thinking that the manufacturing sector is close to bottoming out and that the impact of lower, gas, lower oil prices, lower gasoline prices, boosted auto sales last month to nearly a record level. And last year was a record, level, record for auto sales in general. Consumption was up 3.1% last year, strongest in a decade. But are we seeing a confidence hangover for business spending in particular? I don't know about a confidence spillover. I think that in the fourth year of a, of a presidential, of a second term of a presidential, so the second term last year, the stock market tends to go down. I think it goes down about 10% on average. I think that, the, that a lot of these models that are forecasting recession are looking, putting a lot of weight on the fall in the stock market. And perhaps we're all just products of you know, where we sit. My first experience was the 1987 equity market crash. And many people said this was a repeat of the Great Depression. And, of course, we didn't even have a recession, not in 87, not in 88. We don't get a recession for a couple of years afterwards. So I'd say the stock market, like other people have noted, has predicted many of recessions that don't materialize. Mark Chandler is with us from Brown Brothers Harriman. We'll continue our conversations in just a moment. We'll take a look at uh, central bank divergence. Uh, has divergence peaked? A question uh, for Mr. Chandler. Well, right now, as we get ready for Janet Yellen's testimony, we're looking at a 10-year yield of 1.76%, 1.19% for the five-year, the two-year, 72 basis points. This is Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. 
Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer. When it comes to winter elements, put your best four wheels forward with Mercedes-Benz 4Matic All-Wheel Drive. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer for a test drive today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. U.S. stock index futures are higher to mirror gains in European shares and oil prices and indicating the S&P 500 will rebound from its lowest level since 2014. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 23 points. Dow E-mini futures up 156. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 63. The DAX in Germany is up 2.5%. So is the CAC in Paris. Ten-year Treasury down 12.30 seconds. The yield 1.76%. NYMEX crude oil up 2.3%. Or 65 cents to 28.59 a barrel. Comex Gold down 1.3 percent, or 15 dollars 30 cents to 11.83.30 an ounce. The euro a dollar 12.66. The yen 114.97. Time Warner up six tenths percent this morning after profit beat analyst estimates and after announcing a five billion dollar buyback. While Walt Disney is down more than three and a half percent as investors overlooked record earnings to focus on flagging profits at ESPN Sports Network. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Thank you very much, Karen Moscow. We're talking with Mark Chandler. He's the head of currency strategy for Brown Brothers Harriman. And, Mark, I teased this ahead of time. But um, I'm curious because you were uh, talking earlier about um, what other central banks do in connection with what the Fed does. Uh, Has policy divergence peaked in the sense that the Fed seems now to be backing off from a rate hike and it isn't clear uh, from the Bank of Japan's uh, efforts that, that they can get a lot out of additional extraordinary policies. Yes, yeah, so I, I, look, I mean, the Fed last told us what they were thinking in December when they said they would raise rates, four, when they thought that there would be conditions would be sufficient for them to raise rates four times this year. Most people in the market didn't believe it. I thought there was scope for two hikes this year. And I still think there's scope for two hikes this year. The market is basically pricing out, uh, note basically pricing in less than a 50% chance of even one hike. Has policy divergence peaked? And this is, this is a key question, especially for people like me who, who predicate our bullish dollar view on this divergence of policy. And I think even if the Fed were not to raise rates at all this year, imagine this, you're a bank, you've got some extra liquidity. You give it to the Bank of Japan and they charge you 10 basis points. You give it to the ECB, and right now they charge you 30 basis points. It could be more. They'll charge you more next month. You give that excess liquidity to the Federal Reserve, and they give you 50 basis points. I think that the problem that we're having in the markets, I think, is complicated because I see things as having two, there's two circuits of capital. One circuit is because of these negative interest rates overseas, money is coming into the U.S. And you can see this by looking at how big of a yield decline we've had in our bond market. This is money coming into, uh, partly it's money that's being chased out of these negative yielding uh, German and Japanese bonds. Look at this. The German yield curve is negative out for eight years. The Japanese yield curve is negative out to nine years. The Swiss curve is negative out to 15 years. So I say people will buy U.S. assets because they have a positive return. But 
In the short run, there's another circuit of capital that's overwhelming this, and that is people have used the euro and the yen to finance purchases of other assets. These other assets could be other currencies. It could be equities. And as they've gotten out of those assets, they've had to unwind the funding trade of it. Some people call that a carry trade. I'm not so sure. I think it's you're basically borrowing cheap money, and you're buying a riskier asset. And whether that riskier asset return comes from yield, which would be the carry trade, or just asset performance, capital gains. It doesn't really matter to me. The key here is that you have to unwind this. And that unwinding of these positions is overwhelming this divergence of policy and this extreme interest rate differential. So where where do we look for a clue to what happens with the dollar if if we can't be sure of the interest rate differential anymore? Oh, no, I'm saying that we can be. that. So for, for, I, I think oftentimes when I read news wires, when I listen to uh, business shows, it, we sometimes talk as if the only people, the only market participants are short-term hedge fund leveraged players. For people who are trying to manage their pension funds, I'm not so sure that it matters that in the short run that these, the unwinding of trades, which is, which is weighing on the dollar, lifting the euro, lifting the yen, whether that is what we should be focusing on when we're trying to manage our pension money for five or ten years out from now, or 20 years out from now. I think that the divergence remains in, in effect, and even if it doesn't come from the U.S. side of the equation, I think it's clear that we should be expecting further easing from the European Central Bank, and we should probably be expecting further easing from the Bank of Japan. I suspect we can also get further easing from some other countries, including China. And this, I think, even if the Fed doesn't do anything, which I think is, I think the Fed will be raising rates this year. And this is the other point about the recession. Look at what happened. The Atlanta Fed, we're talking about 2.5% growth. Europe, after today's industrial production numbers, a country like the U.K. may have to revise down Q4 GDP. And so I think the policy divergence is still in effect. It's just being, like, it's being overshadowed in the short run. But what we need to count on for longer-term, medium-term investors is that the U.S. pursued a very aggressive policy early on, and that is having payoff several years later. Mark, Tom King, good morning. I just uh, wandered into the conversation. I, I look at dollar strength. I look at dollar dynamics out there. And the bet has to be made. You know that markets can swing the excess. Where's the major bet right now? Where's the overbet by market participants? I'd say in my mind, Tom, I think, the, I think that, you know, we, many people have been critical that the Federal Reserve has been too dovish. And now the Federal Reserve says, look, we're going to be raising interest rates. And the market says, no, you're not. So to me, it's not so much about the March meeting. I, do, I mean, it seems to me pretty clear that in December there was a reasonable chance for a March meeting, but given the turbulence in the market, given the tightening of financial conditions, there's less of a chance of a March hike. But to say that there's a little chance, not even a 50-50 chance, that the Fed raises rates by the end of the year, I think is a gross underestimation of the U.S. economy. It does not appreciate that at full employment – we should be expecting further wage pressure, and which, this is the thing I think that a lot of people are missing. Despite the strength of the dollar, despite the fall in oil prices last year, core inflation rose. Core CPI trended higher all last year. Core, core PCE deflator, which is what the Fed targets, mm-hmm. also rose last year, not by a lot. But the direction is, I think, is the right direction. And what, what's going to fuel inflation? What's going to fuel inflation is the price of housing, shelter costs, medical services, 
And if our earnings data is any indication, some upward pressure on wages. Might not be a lot. It's never enough for me. Right. But there'll be some upward pressure on wages. And combine these things, and we're looking at higher inflation, full employment. Well, you need a quiet place, Mike McKee. You know this better than I do, but you need a quiet place to make this shift. Does Janet Yellen shift this morning? I don't see how Janet Yellen can really shift in the sense that we just had the FOMC statement uh, late January. It's not even two weeks old. What the Fed told us there is that it's watching carefully what's going on in the global economy and the financial markets to see if, if it does really impact the economy or if it assesses their risk assessment. I'm sorry, if it changes their risk assessment. In December, they said the risks were, were fairly balanced. In January, they said we're watching conditions to see if the risk balance has changed, meaning that they hadn't changed it yet, but they're sort of like the watchful wait. So I think that Yellen is going to have to walk a very – she's going to have to balance her views. Right. One is the market turbulence versus the relative underlying strength of the U.S. economy, and that's why I mentioned this Atlanta Fed. The U.S. economy looks like it's improving dramatically from mm-hmm. stagnant in Q4. Mark Chandler, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it with Brown Brothers Harriman uh, this morning. Greg Villiers gave us terrific perspective on his New Hampshire uh, yesterday. He publishes moments ago, obviously on New Hampshire and South Carolina, uh, but also on Janet Yellen. Let, let's let's start. Let's review this note. I think it it's important. Just he has such a good handle on. Uh, on uh, New Hampshire. Uh, his headline is simple. Donald Trump has a path to the presidency. Mr. Trump won New Hampshire by more than expected. Mrs. Clinton lost by more than expected. The establishment in Washington is reeling. Financial markets have other things to worry about. Now they have to deal with the likelihood of political instability for months to come. Clearly, John Tucker, I saw that last night in the different reports of uh, people lengthening out their timelines of however uh, this go. Uh, Vallier puts a Trump uh, presidency or path to the presidency, I should say, maybe a 40 percent chance, he says. Trump is the clear favorite to win uh, South Carolina. On to Chair Yellen. Uh, let me get down there. There's more on politics. Uh, the markets hate uncertainty. Janet Yellen today, she needs to do two things. Convince the markets that the economy isn't remotely close to a recession. We just heard that from Mr. Chandler. She needs to convince investors that the Fed is in no rush to resume its tightening. And that brings up a really important point, folks. The different market actions out there, are they a pseudo-tightening pushing against the Fed. Even if the Fed, John Tucker, raised once, twice, how many times they raise, are market actions tightening up the system even as the Fed raises rates? So that's one of the ideas maybe she'll touch upon today. A sharp note from Greg Vallier at Horizon Investments, and we thank him for his continued uh, perspective. Do you think you're going to run out of topics to talk about any time no, soon? No, it is, I, we were talking about that last night. Um, her worship and I, and and I, I have to admit, it is it is extraordinary, the number of themes. Futures up twenty two, not bad. Dow futures up one fifty, curve steepening ever so slightly. Stay with us another hour of Bloomberg surveillance. <laughs> 